A quick warning before we begin. This episode contains themes that some might find upsetting. From Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is a special bonus episode of Cover Up Season 1, Ministry of Secrets. I'm Giles Milton. And I'm Sarah Peters. We're going to dive into some of the more weird and wonderful moments from this series. I think it's fair to say we've both been obsessed with this series, with the making of this series. And in fact, we have so many long Zoom calls. Your voice is just booming into my house all day long. My my kids and my husband think you're actually living in our home right now. <laughs> and I remember at one point, your husband, Johnny, I heard his voice <laughs> in the background. He was saying those words that Princess Diana said, there are three of us in this, <laughs> in this marriage. I think it really does feel that right now. <laughs> Do you think you'll still be friends in 2057? And, and where will you be? Hello, junior producer, Martha. Lovely to see you. Hello. We will definitely be still be friends, won't we, Giles? We've we've known each other for 40 years. We'll be friends and we'll probably be living in the same old people's home. You've worked together really closely for the past few years. So there must be something that irritates you that the other does. Well, if I can say one thing. Go on. So when we first met when we were 16, I must admit I had a bit of a reputation for being a little bit late to um, meeting up or to the pub. Or to parties. Actually, you were never late to the pub. You were late to everything else. (laughs) So I've tried to correct that over the years. So Giles and I always meet for a coffee before we come and record the the podcasts and work together. And I think I'm pretty punctual now and I arrive at the allotted time. But Giles, you're always there early. Like however early I think I arrive, you're always there like 10, 15 minutes earlier than me. So it makes me feel like I'm still late. I know, I'm, I infuriate my family because I'm always either on time or early. But that's how it is, I guess. Well, I wouldn't really say that's irritating, it's endearing. <laughs> Giles, anything you want to share with the group? Nothing at all. I think Sarah's absolutely wonderful and I can't believe she just said oh, that about me. so sweet of you. <laughs> Springtime is all about fresh air, fresh starts and freshly clean homes. And it's the perfect time to give a fresh look at Simply Safe Home Security. The home security system many of the most anxious people I know recommend. Here's why people love it. Trusted by experts, Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System for 2024 by US News and World Report. And Newsweek awarded it Best Customer Service in Home Security. The system blankets your whole home in protection. It has sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more plus a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch over your property day and night. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day, so you get fast emergency response and dispatch when you need it most. Simply Safe has given many of our listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for fast protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash coverup. That's simplysafe.com slash coverup. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So, what are we going to start with today? Well, Martha's gathered some clips for us from right across the series that didn't make it into the final edit. Okay, ready for the first one. I will see you at the tube, top of the tube station, the exit, Euston, eight twenty tomorrow. Perfect, and we'll get some snacks for the journey. Thank you. It's not just me. Did you say you had some snacks for the journey? I've made myself a little sandwich to keep hunger at bay. What's what's in your sandwich? It's ham and bacon. Uh, Ham and mustard. Now I'm getting hungry. (laughs) Crab and a bottle of champagne. Mm. Now you're talking. 
as always, important to make sure we've got a gov- enough provisions, coffee, yeah. croissant. I think a spot of lunch. Yeah, I'm really hungry. I had really forgotten how many of our <laughs> conversations centred around food, but I'm not ashamed of that. The thing is, when you make a podcast, you get very, very hungry. The only thing I'm annoyed about is you didn't offer me a ham and mustard sandwich in that in the car ride. I know, I know. I feel really bad about that. I'm sorry. So we're going to hear this the second clip now. This, this one really stands out for me. It's a little bit dark. Um, it's with our forensic pathologist, Dr. Richard Shepherd, who's worked on thousands of cases of unexplained deaths and mysteries over the years. When we interviewed him, he helped us work out whether the body that was discovered in Chichester Harbour was actually that of Lionel Crabbe. But this this one was, it was quite hard to listen to, wasn't it? It was quite hard to listen to. And for me, it was, uh, we had an absolutely fantastic day with him. We went up to his house. Uh, he invited us for lunch. And he really went through uh, some of the most sort of terrible and, and really harrowing uh, stories, death stories, autopsies he's carried out. Uh, he tries to uh, explain how you deal with that on an emotional level, you know, when you're dealing with just horrific, uh, awful tragedies. I thought I'd got away with it in my career until about 2016 or 17, uh, you know, close to the end of my career, when all these memories that I thought I got neatly suppressed just all whooshed out and was sort of dancing around and I really couldn't couldn't cope with it uh, and was acute, very acutely uh, anxious and depressed and suicidal, which was very, very stressful. And did this not follow on from the Bali bombings? Well, it, it, the trigger, <laughs> the trigger was the Bali bombings because in, in Bali, unlike World Trade, of course, we were dealing with a country that wasn't as advanced. There were 202 fatalities, so there were probably, I don't know, 400, 500 body parts. There was nowhere to put them. There were no proper body bags. They were just laid on the ground. And the only way of keeping them cool was to put bags of ice cubes on top. And it was actually, it was that memory and making my wife a gin and tonic when I actually went to a bag of ice cubes and took an ice cube out that just, that was the key. That totally benign, banal event just opened the door to all the images of Bali. And then from that, it just, but then I, but I couldn't get them back in. It's amazing to think, isn't it, that just making a gin and tonic for his wife would provoke that kind of reaction, but actually not that surprising when you've worked with death, you've been that close to death for so many years. Of course, it's going to impact you in some way. And the the thing that he, when you meet him, I mean, he presented himself as such, and he is such a sort of amiable, relaxed guy, isn't he, with his kind of slacks and his sports top on and was very good-natured through the whole thing. But, of course, the you know the accumulative effect of working so close to death for all those years is going to eventually, you know, someone's going to break, and he did. And he was very honest about it. I mean, he yeah. said that he himself was quite blasé about the whole thing. He said, well, I've, I've dealt with thousands yeah. of deaths. I can handle it. And he, he said it was a... It was a terrible moment because he just wasn't expecting it. You know, one ice cube in a gin and yeah. tonic and suddenly his world falls apart. And, you know, then he has to go into therapy and it takes him a long time to recover. And it just makes you, you know, realise that this this job is grim. It's, it's It takes its emotional toll on you. And also at the end of the day, you've got to go back to your family and your kids and your wife yeah. and everything and behave you know normally. And he said that was very difficult. And it makes me think what everything that 
everything that Richard Shepard said, it made me really think about Margaret Crabb, who was called in to the autopsy. And, you know, we, Sarah, we, we both saw the pictures. Have, they're, they're, they're grim. They're really, really grim. Really this gruesome. mass of human yeah. flesh, you know. Yeah. And to think, and Richard vividly described the smell of that rotting corpse. Yeah, that you'd, you'd smell it. The stench would, would take, would the, you'd, you'd be aware of the stench from from the corridor before we even got to the autopsy room. Yeah, yeah. So Margaret Crabb is brought in and she's standing right next yeah. to this this corpse or the remains of this corpse. And, you know, for Richard Shepard, if it had such an emotional toll on him and he's a professional, then imagine how it would have been for Margaret Crabb seeing her ex the remains of her ex-husband and trying to identify them. Absolutely hideous. I mean, she, we, we learn that she only lasts for 30 seconds in that room before she has to leave. Yeah, yeah, must have been indescribable, awful. And, you know, even Richard Shepard said, I mean, he said nowadays, you would never, ever bring in the loved ones of, of you know, a deceased uh, to try and identify them like, like that. This was the 1950s. It was a very different world back then. We also learned that Margaret had a very complicated relationship with Lionel Crabb. I mean, he was her ex-husband. Uh, she'd had clear, they'd only been married for a year. She clearly had a very difficult time with him. So with all those com, with all those complexities to actually go into the room and try and identify him must have been absolutely hideous. And actually, Margaret Crabb, I mean, she's, in a way, she's one of the most fascinating people yeah. in this whole uh, podcast series, I think. And it was only quite late on that we found, we made an amazing discovery, and that was some some of the letters that she'd written to her ex-husband, Lionel. And I, I'd really like if we can play some of those uh, to hear what she has to say. I've just heard from patients that you've phoned there several times and seem under the impression that I'm still with her. You must know that my health has suffered considerably as a result of living with you due to the ever-present weight of past debts, that you make no effort to settle and even worse, your indulgence in abnormal sexual practices. Please leave me alone to try and repair some of the damage you have inflicted on me. My child's life is all before him and I will not have it started in an atmosphere of sexual perversion. It is quite true that no one knows my address simply because I want to embarrass no one by having to refuse to give it to you. There is a difference between helping someone in distress, which is what I thought I did when I first gave you money, and just handing over one's entire savings to someone who won't even alter their standard of living to begin to pay off degrading debts. Time and again, we've gone into the real reasons for the impossibility of continuing to live together. That alone is exhausting for me. But once more, for your sake, I'll put it clearly. Marriage between us is impossible because you are sexually perverted. That alone is enough to disgust and terrify me. It took me many months for me to realise that such perversions could exist. Now that I know your real nature, I can only repeat that it is impossible to live with you. She doesn't mince her words, does she? I mean, they're really dark and there's quite a lot lot yeah. in there, I think. But what I found sort of amazing when we discovered these letters is, you know, we started off this whole series, this whole podcast, with Lionel Crabb was the great wartime yeah. hero, you know. And as, as the more we found out about him and started to sort of un, unpick him, if you like, a really quite dark story started to emerge. Yeah, Lionel Crabb was a sort of blank canvas to us when mm. we started this whole process, as was Margaret Crabb. We knew nothing about her and actually very little is known about her. And then we discover this cache of letters, which is so revealing in so many ways. I mean, she's 
she's sort of ahead of her time in some way. She's using language that we might use today, you know, language of harassment, of a an ex-partner stalking her, desperate for money, begging her for money. These are sort of quite contemporary issues. And it's kind of surprising to hear it in the voice of a woman who was around in the 1950s. And yet when she talks about his sexual perversions, you know, she may be talking about his bisexuality or his fetishes. I think we hear about that in episode three of the series. I mean, that is pretty homophobic language. That's not language we'd expect to hear today. We would use very different language today, yeah. phrase things very differently. But the country was a very different place in the 1950s. As we point out in the podcast, you know, the church still uh, played yeah. a big role in society. So we're, we're, we're really into a very different period of history but what also what really shocked me was was just the the the, the constant borrowing money, the gambling, the yeah. debts that he got into. He was in a terrible mess, Lionel Crab. Okay, so we're now going to go to our penultimate clip, which is a kind of behind the scenes look at quite a special place for us, even though it didn't feature in the podcast itself, which was a visit to the Sallyport Hotel in Portsmouth, where we went with. Crab, the crab expert, really, Anne Bevan, who fe is featured a lot across the podcast. We first of all went up to the room where Crab would have spent his last night on Earth. We're doing a um, bit of research about Commander Crab. All right. And I know that his room is the top attic room. Mm -hmm. Are we allowed to have a look inside it? Yes, of course you can. It's kind of weird walking up these steps thinking that Crab, 1956, April, he would have... Walked up these same steps, Absolutely. up to his bedroom. Yep. You must have really struggled walking up these stairs. I'm a bit out of breath myself. Yes. <laughs> yes. You wouldn't want to come up these after a few Yes, pints. exactly. Well, after you. Look at the ceiling. It's all old Georgian beams. And the place is absolutely crammed full of, well, what? Bits and pieces. <laughs> I actually have never been in this room before. It's quite exciting to have been here, even though you feel almost because of... Um, I mean, you can tell, you know, just by mentioning to the two people who work here now, Commander Crabbe, they knew exactly who we were talking about and why we did were they? here. Yes. yes. She did the, um, the lady at the foot, they? Yeah. So, um, you know, this building, you know, his spirit is almost still here because of um, the story that, that goes with him. So we're going down the steps yeah. from visiting uh, Crabbe's, what would have been Crabbe's room, to find a receptionist uh, in the sort of foyer of, of this building who was fantastic and it just sort of struck us that everyone certainly in Portsmouth seems to have their own special take um, on the Lionel Crab story they all consider themselves to be sort of the authority on the story Thank you so much for letting us uh, have a look at the room it's wonderful to get up there brilliant it was great it was wonderful to be inside the room that he stayed in <laughs> that's cool yeah we actually did um, a video ourselves about him um, we got a YouTube channel nothing big but yeah we did a little video about him we did a kind of James Bond thing because obviously as Ian Fleming was uh, inspired from yes. him Thunderball was the, the one specific that I think was inspired from um, Buster Crab yeah what do you know uh, about Buster Crab oh what do I know Ooh. Uh, well, I know his head went missing and was never found, and the body came up on, on shore. Um, I know he was a Royal Navy frogman, and he was spying on um, the Russians, wasn't he, mm. during the Cold War, I believe. Um, yeah, it was a big mystery, and this was the last place he was seen. And the legend his last night on never, Earth, never got you? solved. Well, I mean, no, his, his head was never found, was it, to this day? His head was never found. His head was never found. Um, it was amazing going to the Sallyport Hotel because, you know, we, we tried to 
sort of pieced together his last 24 hours on earth around Portsmouth, um, which ended, you know, involved us going to quite a few pubs. <laughs> but we ended up in the Sallyport Hotel and, and like, yeah, we climbed up to the top of this, you know, wonderful Georgian building, which was a total ruin at the top. And then and we got to his room and then you looked out the window and you immediately realised why he'd booked into this room because it had a fantastic view over not only Portsmouth Harbour, but the Soviet ships that, you know, yeah. were at anchor in the harbour as well. But the thing for me, which we only found out afterwards, which really, I don't know, uh, sent a little chill through my spine, was the fact that the Sallyport Hotel was opposite the church in which his funeral would later be held, you know. So he was actually, when he looked out of the window, he saw the place where he was going to be buried. Welcome to True Spies. The podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. So now we're going to have our final clip. And actually, I think this is probably my favourite person of everyone we interviewed because he was such a character. This is Kerry McKinnon, who we found completely by chance. In fact, we found his address. Do you remember? We we drove to his house. We knocked on his door and basically basically barged our way in and said, can we interview you, please? Because we think you've got a good story about Lionel Crabb. The funny thing is we had no idea what to expect. He might have been, he was quite elderly. He might have been infirm and not, and have any sort of recall at all. But we got quite the opposite response. What was brilliant is we walked through the front door and literally I said, we're doing a podcast about Lana Crab. And he said, do you want beer, wine, tea, (laughs) coffee? (laughs) And and literally two minutes later, we were sitting in the back garden, gorgeous sunny day, uh, Kerry McKinnon in his flowery shorts and T-shirt. And we just had a ball. It was fantastic. And he was telling us of the day in June 1957, when he was there with his family on his pleasure boat and watching uh, the fishermen and the police pull out what turned out to be the remains of Lionel Crab. We were all sort of earwigging and watching, trying to work out what it was and all sorts of theories as to what it might be. Possibly um, a corpse, but we had no idea. We knew that night that... Um, a headless frogman had been discovered. And the thing about Kerry McKinnon, and I know you felt it as well, Sarah, is he just had the most amazing voice. He had this mellifluous, wonderful sort of actory voice. And we asked him about it, and it turned out that uh, he'd been asked um, to do the shipping forecast, which British listeners will probably know, this uh, thing which is on the BBC every day, which is this rather bizarre announcement of all the different uh, sea zones around the British Isles and what what ship, what what forecast they're, they're going to have. And he actually did this for his local area. And then uh, some of his mates down at the pub, they, they suggested that they uh, do a spoof shipping forecast and they got Kerry McKinnon to do it. And I think this is what we're going to listen to. 
Now the shipping forecast, issued by the Met Office on behalf of the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency at 0600 UTC today. The general synopsis. Cow in sea area Shannon, moving slowly eastwards and filling. Correction, that should read low in sea area Shannon, moving slowly eastwards and filling. The area forecast for the next 24 hours. For sea areas Viking, North at Sierra, South at Sierra, East at Sierra, West at Sierra, Southwest at Sierra, and North Northeast at Sierra. Wind Southwest. Rain at times. Good. For sea areas 40s, 50s, 60s, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss, and Swiss Roll. Westerly, becoming cyclonic. Moist. Good. Humber, Thames, Bedford, Ford, Daft, Dover, Sole, Hake, Halibut, and Monkfish. Regular outbreaks of wind. Rain at times. White, Portland, Plymouth, Ginger Rogers and Finisterre. Southerly. Some singing in the rain. Very good. Lundy, Fundy, Sunday and Monday. Wind, southwest, becoming cyclonic. Bloody marvellous. Rockall. Sod all wind. Heavy showers. Absolutely incredible. Malin, Hebrides, Bailey, Fair Isle, Cardigan, Pullover, and Southeast Iceland. Wind, southeast. Rain at times. Slightly disappointing. I mean, it's so British, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Because, I mean, ever since my childhood, the, the shipping forecast has, has never changed. It's always been on. You have these weird uh, areas of sea called, like, North at Zero. And, you know, he, it's all a riff on that, really. It's, a bit, it's one giant spoof he's giving us there. But the shipping forecast is like a backdrop to all our lives, right? Because we all... Mm fall asleep to that it's so um it's sort of calming and soporific isn't it so it's just instantly as a british person it's just instantly familiar to us and what's weird he has absolutely the voice that they have on the bbc he's just pitch perfect it's fantastic the idea of just chancing upon him in his garden i mean what are the chances of that working out but it it really did i mean we could have spent all evening there basically drinking his his beer uh, in the garden it was such a beautiful day it was it was just one of those wonderful moments of making this podcast where everything went right and not only was he at home invited us in was incredibly friendly but he had this amazing story to tell but when you say that you know, the sense that everything's gone right. I sort of feel that across the whole series, actually. And it makes you think this was a story that needed to be told. Yes, it's been told in fragments, but no one has sort of told this story in its entirety before. But I think we were, it was, I have this sort of sense of it being meant to be because the people we really needed to hear from, those those eyewitnesses from the late 1950s, they were still alive. I mean, what were the chances of that happening? You know, I think of Peter Marshall, who was, approaching 90 when we mm. tracked him down, who was fully across the details. You know, he was the person who broke the story of Lionel Crabb to the world, effectively. Mm. And he was still alive and he invited us to his house for lunch. And then and then at the very end, I mean, literally, we'd yeah. already been re- recorded most of the podcast. We came across lovely Mary, 97 years old. What an extraordinary yeah. character and invited us in, told us her story. I mean, she was amazing. Before we finally say goodbye, we have to ask the question. Let's fast forward. We're now in we're now in 2057. What will be contained within that embargoed Lionel Crab file? Giles, what do you think? 
After everything we know about the weeders we've discovered during this podcast, I think they will not release it in 2057. I think they're going to slap another 100-year ban on it. And you? Well, if they do actually, if they do go ahead and they open up that file, I reckon it's got to be something about Lord Mountbatten. I reckon that has to be the reason why they've kept this embargoed for so long. Well, stick around. We'll do another series in 2057. See you then. Cover Up Season 1, Ministry of Secrets, is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production. It's hosted and written by me, Giles Milton. The producer is Sarah Peters. The junior producer is Martha Miller. The production coordinator is E.K. Egbitola. Peggy Sutton is the story consultant. Jeremy Wormsley composed the original music, with mixing and sound design from Peregrine Andrews. Additional mixing by Jay Beale. Isis Thompson is the editor and executive producer. With thanks to Ginny Fiol and Tuning Fork Productions. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.